0: on a special episode of bet the process podcast rufus has his long-awaited dream of having met matt Kef on the bet the process podcast sadly after he's already been on spanky's podcast and we chat a lot about the pinnacle model versus the william hill model and we even talk a little tiger woods phil mickelson match futures so with that let's start the process bet bet bet, bet,
1: bet the process The process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of massy Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where we have a very special guest on. Uh, Matt Metcalf from this is a guy that Rufus every week he's like we should have Matt Metcalf on we should have Matt Metcalf on and the bane of my existence is that we had him on right after Spanky did so like Spanky scooped us it took us that long to get him (laughs) on so welcome Matt um thanks for joining us and what I what I wanted to actually go on the diatribe was we were prepping for this interview and and I actually listened to your Um, Interview with with spanky just to sort of like get some background and get some thoughts on things We wanted to talk about and rufus keeps asking me like hey, what do you want to ask him? Hey, what are your thoughts? What do you want to ask? I'm like just fucking put some stuff into our google doc and send it to me And he's like what 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 doc which doc? I'm like any doc you can share with me Just put it there and we can share and we can start talking about it and he sends me a fucking picture of a pad of paper where he wrote six questions down in handwritten ra- with a pencil, like well, it's what, what more what's than that six like? now? But well, what,
2: what, what? first off, first off, your message to me said put something in the doc. Like you were talking about your ideas, and and so I'm like, oh, Jeff put something in the doc. I don't see anything that he put in the doc. So I'm like, which doc? I would have said
0: I put something in the doc, not put something. That was an order to you, not a declarative statement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, i welcome. Sorry, sorry you getting
0: like we always like our guests to basically see that the squabbling is real. It's not something. <laughs> yeah, that no, I, I can tell. <laughs> we do for for uh, for effect. Um, I guess I guess first off, did you have you listened to your interview with Spanky? Did you did you what were your what were your thoughts on that? I thought um, it, it's always interesting to list, re-listen or think about uh, the things you talked about. Are there any things that you wish that you had talked about with him that you didn't get a chance to talk about?
1: well the, the first thing I wanted to say was I technically did your guys podcast first because I committed to do it some some months ago so about two months ago I told Rufus I would be a guest here so um, in in my heart I was on this podcast first um yes Appreciate I did relisten to <laughs> yes I did re-listen to the uh, the spanky podcast um, mostly because I'm insanely paranoid and I wanted to make sure that I didn't say anything regarding my competitors. That was too derogatory or, you know, sometimes I get kind of impassioned when I'm talking and I, and I kind of want to lay it all well, out when there. When you, so-
0: you called Jay Cornegay a clown, which I thought was like a little, I, what was an <laughs> ask? He's called him an ass clown, which I thought was kind not, of a mean. Hey, not,
1: not everybody listens to both podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing but kind of things to say to Jay Cornegay. Um, you were yeah, very and nice. my mentor. And-
0: <laughs> I actually so- left, I left there wondering like, what are the characteristics that make Ed Salmon's like this OG like, cause everyone that talks about him talks about how amazing he is and whatnot. And one of the things you kept talking about was his ability to manage a futures book. So what, what are the kind of like, what, what do you, I guess, what do you see in him that you want to emulate? Um, you know, in what you do going forward with Circa?
1: That's probably one of the better questions I've I've been asked. So, um, yeah, Ed, Ed is the guy that I didn't know existed, as I kind of said in the thank you podcast, in terms of when I came to Vegas, you know, I went to work for Jay, but Ed was kind of in the background. Um, You know, he's got, he's got an accounting background. So there's some number, there's some numerical type numbers type background that he has. But he's really, um, he's really good at thinking about things with an analytical mind and a very logical approach. And he uses, he's able to inject common sense into, into the numbers and into math and kind of understand you know markets and perception and the key to a future book and this is the key to a managing one they're all rooted in perception as, as most markets are um, and some people forget that and they think they're trying to predict you know what the exact odds of the patriots winning the super bowl is and it's not it's what are the majority of people who will walk into our sports book going to think the odds of the patriots are winning the super bowl so it, it starts rooted in a number but you know ed ed has a unique talent really or understanding what other people are going to think and getting ahead of them. And that's the key element to me, I think. You have to think about future books three weeks, a month, six weeks down the line and where you're going to be. And you can't think in the present. You always have to think about what's going to happen. Hence, you know, future books. That makes sense, right?
0: Is there an example of him moving um, a line or reacting to a bet or reacting to news where at the time you were like, oh, why the F is he doing that? And then re- later on you realized like, oh, that was, he was like three steps ahead of the game.
1: Yeah, and so I'm I'm really bad at in individual examples and recalling them for some reason. But I, I will say that when I first started to learn from him, there was a tendency for me to kind of want to downplay whatever news happened. So if there was an injury, you know, I'd always be like, well, that doesn't matter. That can't be worth more than half a point. And, you know, Ed might move something or adjust his futures aggressively. And that's the main thing I've taken away from him is you can't incorporate too much information to a futures book. You know, people, while I might not think that something... You know, uh, a defensive back, you know, twisting his ankle and being out for two games means a ton. There's a guy out there sitting who has money who thinks it means something, and it probably does mean something. So, you know, I I try to move my future books around as much as possible for two reasons. Um, the first is it encourages action; it gives people different things to look at, and it might it might you know draw up a bet somewhere. We're holding 25% on these future books. The key is to write. So if I, the more I move these numbers around, the more likely you are to log onto the app and say, oh crap, okay, the Patriots at 12 to one, I'd play that. I wouldn't have played 11. Um, and then the second part of that is it keeps you coming back and it keeps the customers coming back and interacting with the brand and with the product, knowing that, you know, this is, this is um, something that is not um, stationary. It moves around and, you know, what I see today, the odds would be different tomorrow. And so, yeah, I, I just like, I think a lot of movement is good. And, you know, another thing I'd really taught me was you can't get aggressive enough on favorites and you really want to look at the teams and ask yourself who can win and who can't. Um, And that's a unique skill. Most people can't look at a, at a pool of 30, you know, 30 golfers, 30 football teams and really whittle it down and say, okay, these four teams can actually win because we're taking opinions just like you guys are. We're basically saying, you know, we want to win on these teams And, and honestly, you know, you're not going to go overboard and try to not offer people fair odds, but at the same time, you know, we have to be somewhat opinionated in these roles or we're not going to win money.
0: So there's an ongoing Rufus. i don't want to dominate the conversation so i'm giving you a chance to talk wait
2: i was muted um so you can largely move on perception um with futures um because it's it's a one it's a one-way market you know you can't fade a team um but you guys are are offering another
0: thing too is that that he's saying i i feel like is that because there's also a lot of these in a lot of these cases there's more time to adjust things that you can be a bit more it's like it's almost like a, it's an interesting perspective. Like what I'm hearing from him is that because one, I think you're right. There is, there is a larger hold percentage. So in other words, there's more room to play. And two, because you know, you're going to have an opportunity to react and and you know, you're holding this money for so long. It's, it's in your best interest to be more interested, be more um, aggressive in stimulating more action or encouraging more action. Whereas sometimes if you do that in regular betting markets, you're going to really
2: get yourself into trouble. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree I, with that. Yeah. Uh, I, what I was going, what I was saying before Jeff interrupted me was basically: is it different because you guys are offering these yes/no propositions, which basically makes it a two-way market. I mean, it Like, so you can bet against a team. So, does that change uh, your approach to, um, to how you sort of move these numbers?
1: In the beginning, no. Now, yes, because you know, like I was saying, and like Jeff mentioned, I I, I do tend to get aggressive. Um, you know, in that Scottsdale, Arizona Open that they were just playing or they're playing today. I think I had Colt Nost or Nost, i his name, at 60 to one and somebody bet me and I, I the, the play made sense and I'd seen some movement offshore. So I went down to 25 to one and I think it immediately laid me to know at like no $38 because it was a scalp. So in a typical future book, you know, the, the Las Vegas books don't have to deal with that, that arbitrage element, which, which we do, which I think is a good thing. I mean, it keeps it, basically the market was telling me no, 25 to one is too low. And obviously I'm taking into account who bet that it's probably somebody who's just scalping it, but still at that point, it, it, it drags our number back up to where it can still be a fair bet. Now I'm at 40 to one and somebody else might walk in and be like, ah, I'd play at 40. It's just, it encourages two way. Um, one big element that I stress in the yes, no's that I, that I love is the favorite and where you put your favorite is such a, such a big part of a future book. If you miss on your favorite, you know, if you're, if you should be at four to one and you're at, two to one on a favorite, that's eating up such a big chunk of your future book that you need to know if your price is right. So that no on that favorite is really valuable to me early on. I like setting that limit, you know, a dime or something and, and taking an early bet on the no if I'm wrong. And it really allows me the the opportunity to know that my, that that favorite price is correct. And then I can kind of go from there and moving all the odd, other odds around. It really, is a, it's a huge piece of information for me that I, that I utilize.
2: So are you, when you're, let's, let's say we have a futures market. Nobody else is, or, you know, nobody's opened anything. You're the first one to open it. Um, do you go out and basically price every team? And then, and basically where do you, where are you trying to take more hold on the favorites and the underdogs? Um, is there, is there a science to it or is it kind of, uh, is it an art?
1: You know, I, I think it's, it's much probably more of an art than any other element of, of booking. Um, the, the place where I have the most opportunity to grow and and that Ed is really good at, is is the long shots and, you know I I sometimes let the longer shots eat up too much of my hold and I probably could go higher with them, but you know when you're working at a new operation and you're still kind of sensing out you know what kind of liability your your owner is okay with you know th- there's certain times where you know I might hang a thousand to one instead of five thousand to one just because I'm prepared to take a fair bet of a thousand to one and I and I don't really want to take a fair bet of five thousand to one so you're always thinking liability wise, like what you're prepared to take. Um, You know, I I probably concentrate a bigger piece of my hold towards, towards the favorites. Um, But like I said, the the yes, no, makes it, it makes it to a point where I don't have to make those decisions. And, you know, I don't spend all my time anymore making odds. I, I kind of, it's, it's a, it's a quicker approach with me. I'm trying to ballpark numbers and get the number on board. And then the yes, no's really help me, you know, get to where I need to be pretty quickly. And the lower the hold you book, you know, the more challenging it is and the, actually not the challenging the, the quicker you find out if you made a mistake and it kind of shapes you up your market really quick. So.
0: Can you explain what you mean by eating up your hold to the sort of like, like how do you, wh- how do you ca- calculate what, which piece of the sort of futures pool is eating up your hold? What does that mean?
1: I mean, based on true odds, you know, where you want to offer that price based on what you've calculated the true odds are. So if I say the true odds on the event happening are five to one and I'm offering it five to two, you know, that's eating up a large chunk there of, you know, what I think the true price is. But when you're doing a hold percentage, let's say, for example, the golf, because I've gotten a lot of uh, uh, publicity for this, I guess, is the, the master's hold is 10%. It's, you, you really don't have a lot of hold to work with there. So I, I sometimes find myself, thinking, you know, the true odds on Dustin Johnson should be 22 to one. And I, and I'm pushing up against 22 to one because nobody's betting. So I, I'm looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, I want to win on this guy. So I might be taking out a bigger chunk. Like if I like McIlroy, which I do every year, and I think his true odds are 14 <laughs> to one, you know, I, 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 I want to be at like 10 to one. Cause I don't want to sell off all my macro. You know, I don't want to sell on my macro position, but at the same time, if nobody's really betting them, I keep creeping them up. That's the one thing that I think we do differently. You know, if we're not seeing the action, to support those numbers, I throw my opinion to the side and i say, that's not the correct number. And I keep creeping it up because just because I think the true odds should be 14 to one doesn't really mean crap. I mean, if the market doesn't agree with me, who cares? So
2: are you, when, when you're moving these, are you sort of manually doing this? I mean,
1: let's say somebody
2: bets Dustin Johnson. So you move his odds, then, you know, if if you want to keep the hold the same, you're going to have to move everybody else's as well. Is that sort of an automated thing or um, are you actually having to manually go and say, okay, I want to adjust Rory more here or less here?
1: it's not automated and and I think it's only a matter of time till it is with our software, but it would be nice to be able to make an across the board adjustment, you know, percentage wise on every single golfer. When you move one, Um, I usually don't do that. And you will find that the less time I have, the lazier I get and the more adjustments I'll make towards the favorites um, just because I can quickly kind of get my hold to where it needs to be. But that's probably at my detriment because I'm probably, you know, it's it's in a way that's being very substantial. And the one thing that I've noticed also is with these lower holds, like a 10% hold, you know, moving from 14 to one to 10 to one in a pool like that is a huge move. I mean, it's, you know, I, I talked a lot to Chris Bennett, um, who's my sportsbook manager, and he's really good with the futures also, came up at the Westgate under ed. And, you know, he was looking at my NASCAR hold at 15% and kind of criticizing my moves and saying, that you're being really aggressive, moving somebody from 15 to one to eight to one. That's an, an enormous move. and you know, I, I went back and kind of calculated and the implied odds and the, and the, hold percentage I was giving away by making these huge odds or huge moves was just, it, it was terrible. And I, and I was the first to say, you know, Chris, you're right. I just haven't managed to pull with this low hold before. And you're right. I, I can't make these bigger moves. It's just, it's too much. I'm giving away too much value.
2: I would think it would be hard to actually to do that automatically though. Um, just because, you know, not every book is, is, I mean, the hold isn't the same on, uh, you know, on, on everybody. Right. And so, right. And I've seen some of those news you guys made on, on golf. I mean, I've looked at, I've, I've taken a look at your app every once in a while, even though I'm not in Nevada and just, you know, see somebody that was at 300 to one suddenly goes to like 50 to one. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, Sebastian Munoz, I think, um, you know, guys like that.
0: So and, it it's interesting because one of the things that, and this highlights one of the things that like occurred to me during that spanky interview was how much, like how much of like, almost like a cottage industry this still feels like with some of the manual things that you're doing, just in inability to, you know, the auto line moves, not being able to move, uh, a half time a, f- a first half line, um, in, you know, correlated with an overall line or, uh, you know, a full game line. Um, and you know, just even when I got on, you, you guys were talking a little bit about, um, the future of sports betting in the U S and, and so as I was listening to this, I was thinking to myself, how is a guy like Matt? So when I think about you, it, it just, it, it, you know, I, I would say that you're like right in, in between. There's like the old school, like the Jimmy Vaccaro's and, and you know, the Ed Salmons of the world or and even the Jays of the world that came up, you know, Imperial Palace and like physical sports books, the experience of going into a sports book, retail shops, et cetera. And then on the other extreme, there's say DraftKings and FanDuel that are basically completely online mobile shops and whatnot. You're somewhere in between, right? You're on the younger side. You kind of came up, you had your experience working in that world, but certainly you probably see the future of mobile. Um, And, you know, with Circa now going into Colorado, which I think is really exciting for anyone who wants to see innovation in the sports book world, what do you think the future holds? I know this is a very open-ended question, but like do you think that, do you feel like, how do you feel like you as a smaller group that isn't necessarily completely mobile or online, how do you feel like you compete with the fan duels and the, and the draft kings of the world that are, have come from that sort of mobile digital native sort of world?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm in a unique spot. Like you mentioned, I, I had that kind of old school experience. Um, you know, we're, to, to me, we're a startup in every in every sense of the, the word. Um, I think that the way that Las Vegas sportsbooks have operated for the past 50, 60 years is correct. I think they have the right model. And I think if anything, you know, it, it's it needs to be, their strengths need to be played upon and moved more towards a pinnacle type model, um, which I think goes hand in hand as the next step in the evolution from the Las Vegas model. Um, that said, I'm the first to admit that, you know, we're not, where I want to be not even close. I mean, I I like the advantage that we have as the little guy and what I'm trying to do is go in every day and run the sports book that I would want as a better. Um, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't allowed to do that and credit to Derek Stevens for giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, But you know, I, I intend to bring in every piece of technology we can, but I want to, I want to grow it slowly and I want to figure out what makes sense to us. And I want to bring in guys, have more analytical or more analytics type quant backgrounds and kind of grow this slowly. But I, I like where we're starting. You know, I, I can only, I only know what I know. And so, you know, I'm trying to grow this organically. I'm trying to do everything that I know is right. But at some point, you're right. Technology has to intervene and and take, not take over, but but kind of be meshed or, or melded with the product that I hope to offer.
0: What What do you think, like, what do you think that you will bring to the table that, say, you know, like the DraftKings and FanDuel's won't. Like, in other words, like their advantage clearly is going to be that they have their own develop. Are you guys are you guys going to invest in your own technology, or are you partnering with tech? How are you guys thinking about that as you expand?
1: I think that's that's a necessary part in terms of us eventually partnering with our own technology. I, I don't think it's our priority now. Our priority is to to kind of get in these different states and and you know show show kind of how we operate on a customer service level on a, you know, and and it's just, I I don't think we're doing anything that anybody else is doing. And so I, while we're behind maybe on a, um, you know, a scope of the product in terms of a marketing spend on FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, I think we have a unique position because with the experience we have in the back room with three to four guys having been professional gamblers, we know what the consumer wants. And honestly, my number one goal when I'm, when I'm opening the sports book was to facilitate facilitate, you know, easier transactions for betters. I want to make it to the point where, you know, if you want to bet $100,000 on a game, whether you're a, a recreational gambler bets on the weekends or a professional gambler, you know, I want to be able to to solve that problem for you and take all that, you know, annoyance and work out of it because, you know, as a professional gambler, the hardest part is logistically figuring out, okay, I want to bet $10,000 on this, you know, golf matchup, NASCAR matchup. How can I facilitate that? And then you have to deal with third parties and you have to deal with people, you know who you wouldn't rather deal with everybody wants to just walk in and make their bet and the hard part should be picking the winner and it's not and so i'd like to get it to the point where you know we have we have enough volume that we can cater to everybody and i think that this volume first model that you know i don't have to lay out for you you guys witnessed pinnacle in a tay day i mean that that was the model I, I don't i don't think anyone can question that who understands sports betting so
2: no i agree and i've, I've I, sorry you have to join okay i was gonna say i've, I've always kind of advocated for this model and and supported it and and selfishly so because because i'm a professional better and and you know i know that you know i want to be able to get down so you
0: claim you claim i claim to be a professional better better. claim
2: um so i guess the question is though i mean if you're if you're trying to compete with with the DraftKings, the fan duels you know the big boys there um are you i mean you're gonna have to get recreational betters as well and 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 Mm -hmm. so the um, and I'm not. I mean, I don't know if if your niche is going to be more targeting. You know, not really going after this because you know Pinnacle is not necessarily competing with like say Bet365, um, right? I mean, Bet365 is making a, a whole lot of more money. But um, but so I guess the question is, um, how do you sort of do you think betters in the United States are are actually price sensitive, and what do you think you're going to be able to do to kind of cater to recreational
1: betters? So, so, no, I don't think on the most part that they are price sensitive. But I think there's an education process that, as sports betting gets you know more accepted within the u s and more visible, I, I think it will come. You know, it's up to us to educate players to some degree. and And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about trying to do campaigns, comparing our odds to others, and I'm kind of backed away from it because I don't want to appear like I'm, you know trying to drag down other competitors because there's enough space for everybody. Um, but, you know, I, I think that a lot of it, what I'm doing is the same approach we had at the Westgate at the beginning, which was basically, you know, build a consistent product that treated everybody with respect, and kind of, you know, you guys like you Rufus. I mean, you're you're an influencer, you're an insider, and so when we win you guys over, and you know, I don't feel like we're going out of our way to win you guys over. I feel like we're just doing business the right way, and therefore it 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 translates to you guys, you know, saying positive things about us. But I think there's a large part of the society that is naturally going to look towards influencers and people who are experts and say, you know, where do these guys bet? We're, we're, why, why do they think Circus is the best book? And I think that they will naturally follow that direction. And as we increase market share and as we, you know, have more volume, I think it's just a natural progression, but no, we're not going to get everybody. I mean, there's always going to be people who, you know, just go on and draft every week and, and play 20, dollars $20, you know, twenty dollar teasers. And, and, you know, I, would like to have them, but you know, I, I think, I think the recreational money will come. And I think having the new book across the street that we opened uh, at the end of this year, is, is going to be something that people can associate with us and, and give us a little more uh, traffic and, uh, you know, actual walk-in traffic um, that will lead to actually more notoriety in the on the, you know, the U.S. landscape also.
2: And, so and one on, other yeah. thing, um, you know, I, I've, I've said a lot that I think that these, uh, like DraftKings, FanDuel, et cetera, are, are kind of missing out on some of these this whale action because they're so conservative. If somebody wants to come in and bet, you know, if it's not Mattress Mac, um not somebody who's well known, but you know, if someone wants to come in, like some fi- guy in finance wants to bet a hundred thousand on a game, um, they're gonna have a lot of difficulty doing that. Whereas you guys are, are um, you guys are taking big bets and from from anybody. So I think that's another part of the market. Um, have you, are you targeting that at all? Or is that just sort
0: can of... I, can I ask just one question? For, yeah, like, go for This it. is along the lines of this and maybe it gives, gives it a little better character. If you guys think about what your end state is, so maybe end state is like, I don't know, 10 years from now when you're in say 30 markets or something like that, right? Do you wanna be on a scale of one to 10 where one is William Hill and 10 is pinnacle? Where do you think that you can really settle in, and like wh- what is the best? because we constantly have this argument, Rufus and I, on this show, where we're talking about the pinnacle model versus William Hill and you know the margins, like et cetera, all of that kind of stuff like but where do you think that if you guys are successful, that you will end up from on that scale?
1: My, my real end goal, my real answer to this question is, I want to implicate or uh, implement the pinnacle model, get to the pinnacle model and then look around and see if everybody's on the same page and everybody understands and then basically torpedo my own book and turn it into an exchange. That's like my dream. That's, that's if everything went as planned, you know, 20 years down the line, I'd look up and just be like, everybody's ready now. All right, Circa Sports Exchange, like something like that. Like, I think that's where the industry is eventually headed um, when the education is there. Um, But I don't think, I don't think right now it makes sense. And I, and I, I think we're good enough at what we do that we can grow it into a very successful sports book.
0: So you so it. you're basically saying that you would like it to be like close to 10 on that scale, right? Close to the pinnacle stage because at that point then that's when it becomes an exchange. Do you think that's realistic though? Like I mean, given you guys ultimately you guys will be the ones that have to prove that out, right? Like if you think about is there what other and I know you don't want to talk too much about your competitors, but do you feel like there are like-minded people to you guys in the industry right now that are that are getting Uh, any real traction? Because if not, you're going to be the ones like alone. And won't you be getting picked off here and there? And like, won't it be hard for you to really grow and run a business with all that noise out there?
1: I I think that you're not, it's not going to be evident to what we're doing until you kind of look back at it and see the slow growth. I don't plan to do this overnight. When I, when I talk about what I just said, that's, I mean, that to me is like 30 years, possibly 30 years down the road. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking grow the business, help keep, keep increasing volume and decreasing hold. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm doing that because I think that's putting more money in our pocket. Um, you know, I'm not doing something that's counterintuitive to us making money. Um, I, I just believe that we can stabilize and and settle in at a solid hold percentage and, and write all the volume in the world. And again, like I'm not talking a year from now, I'm not talking two years from now. I, it's a very gradual process. and And I, I, I have the patience, I think, and the vision to, to get there, but anybody who's going to look up after me a year and say, Oh, look, what are you doing? It's not working. Like, you know, that's, that's a bad. So, so,
0: so with that, isn't there, you need to have some like grassroots growth ideas. And so you, you mentioned like influencers like Rufus and whomever else might be fresh. I've never, never been called
2: it. an influencer before. This is, this is the first.
0: <laughs> I, no, what are you talking about? The whole reason I got <laughs> mad at you for having your lazy takes on COVID is because I said you were an influencer, right? Like that, that was like, The whole reason for it. I probably tuned you out on the second
2: half of that sentence. (laughs) What's that? I I guess I tuned you out after you called me lazy.
0: Um, You are, I mean, you call yourself lazy all the time. So I don't know how that's, this is any news. What kind of ideas do you guys have though to overcome? Because like one of the things about the sports betting world, and, and I think about, you know, things like companies like Action Network or even just the companies that are out there right now that are making money off of these chunky referral fees um, th- these are not sustainable, right? In some respects, it's almost like a, a pyramid scheme or something like that, where people are overpaying for a bu- you know, with a business model that's not gonna be supported down the road. So how do you compete in that world or do you just sort of like, you know, like weigh them out, run your business the way it is? It seems like it would be interesting to think about the different ways that you guys wanna create or model out growth by utilizing people like a Rufus or other influencers and in non traditional, I guess, non traditional marketing.
1: Yeah, and that's not my expertise. And when I start to talk about this, I'm sure everybody in uh, our marketing department thinks I'm super naive because I'm always going to be with the approach. You know, I want to win over one customer at a time and through single interactions. And I know as we move into mobile, it's harder to create those single interactions, but I still think that. You know by differentiating ourselves through our customer service and through our transparency and through our holds and you know these are things that people while they might not appreciate now will eventually appreciate and i'm confident in that but you know i'm always going to have a more grassroots approach so i think that we'll probably have a lot of organic type stuff where we're maybe you know going out to whatever new market we're in and kind of you know having a, a circus sports night at, at the local bar or something like that but we, we don't have like you know we don't have the marketing spend at this point to compete on that level with the, the promo stuff and honestly i i, I kind of have this thing where i say to the guys in the back and i'm you know it's not for real but a lot of times it comes off like it is and i'm just like you know i want to be different for different sakes sometimes so when we're on the fence of something and i can't decide like do i do this do i do that you know i'll usually just go with okay how many people are doing this nobody all right let's do that and and that like makes up my mind nine out of ten times on stuff that i can't decide because i i just want to give something people i want to give something to people that's fresh and like a new look and so yeah, but like I said, marketing is not my forte, and I'm I'm an operator, and you know I'm just gonna try to win over one customer, and every customer every time I can interact with them.
0: Rufus, how much would they have to pay you to show up at their Circa night in in uh, Colorado as an influencer?
1: I do it for free. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm giving. Point, them some I, I'm not paid either. by Circa. And I, I, you That's know, the I feel, point. We're n- we're yeah. never gonna pay anybody. Yeah, we're not sponsoring Rufus. Well, you never. <laughs>
2: <no>. <laughs> well, well, shit. Then
0: can we? Uh, Rufus, do you have more? To a- no. <laughs>
2: do
0: you have more to ask on this thread? If not, I there's a I want to change the subject and get his viewpoint on the mark on the marketing thread. No, just generally on what we've been talking about. Like, is there before I move on to something completely different?
2: I don't. I don't know how different it is. I mean, I have a lot more stuff in this sort of ilk, I guess. Just what in you, terms. Of- what did you
1: ask me before, Rufus? What did you ask me that I was going to answer? Because um, I felt like I had something I wanted to say to that question you asked me, but I can't remember what you said. Oh, which question? Right before Jeff asked me the the last question. If you don't remember, no big deal. I just thought I felt like I had an answer all set up for you, and then we we skipped that question. So no big. Hey, deal we have too. to rewind the tape and find out. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, so
2: well, I, I was going to ask though, Jeff. Um, no, so I was I was going to ask like right now. I mean, you know, you're holding you know theoretical hold of ten percent on the masters and in the futures books. I mean, it, you know, your your margins are very slim there. Um, and I'm guessing, um, and maybe you can sort of um, clear this up. We, most of your volume is coming most most of the volume is coming from sharps right now is that right
1: um yeah a majority yes i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's like 90% but a majority, over 50% yeah
2: right so, so right now i mean it, it's so it's, it's obviously very hard to make money that way um right now is is i'm guessing the goal is to build um basically to to grow honestly it's kind of like what DraftKings is doing right to, to grow and, and not necessarily care about profit right now in the short run. Um, and then, you know, to, to try to get, to gain traction. Um, would you say that's correct? I mean, obviously I know you're doing it a completely different way than draft games, but
1: there's a, there's an ulterior motive there also, because you know, a lot of this low hold um, futures book thing was in my mind and never really executed like in person. I wasn't able to book these low holds at Westgate. So my other goal is while our handle's a little lower and while we haven't started to, you know, have this huge volume and gone nationwide, I'm trying to understand at what hold percentages I can win money. And so I basically went to the far end of the spectrum and said, okay, let's start at ten percent. Let's see how I can do here, how I can write. Um, and then I'm basically trying to find the lowest hold percentage that's possible for me to make money at certain volume increments. So, you know, if we write a million dollars in the pool, can I make money at twelve percent? If we write two million dollars in the money, you know, that, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And this is like I tell Derek this all the time. There's so many things that I'm pretty much just testing right now, trying to learn from when we get bigger and when we move across the street to Circa. So yes, you know, it's going to be very hard to win at a 10% hold in the master's bowl and we're probably going to lose. Um, but we're bringing a lot of people in. Plus we're making money on the back end because I've learned these lessons on a much smaller scale, you know, than I will when, you know, we're executing my volume model at, at 20 times and, you know, my mistake could cost us a million dollars, you know? I
2: love it.
0: Okay, so switching gears, we're in a really weird time right now, obviously, right, with COVID and with like very little sports and with the creation of new sporting events, et cetera. So, I guess one thing is, and one of the things that you said in the Smakey podcast was you believe you have um, advantage in things that aren't really well understood or like that, that aren't like markets that are kind of thin with not a lot of great data. So, as you think about some of these new events that are coming up, and let's take specifically, Right now, this this Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning thing. As you think about those, you know, what advice would you give? Uh, first off, to the organizers, like if you were partnering with them and you wanted to try to get the most action possible, like you basically are are having a, a glimpse into how they are going to even run that event and organize it. What are some thoughts and ideas that you would would want you know to put in their minds? as they think about about how they do this like what what we're saying is that in this world of covid right now there's an opportunity for us to create our own made for betting types of events and and you know i think espn dropped the ball like almost like you know criminally by not allowing there to be wagering and not you know not structuring the event in a way where wagering was possible when they did some of their like 2k stuff with the with the players and when they did that um, game of horse so now you know i I know the organizers of the match and i know that this is an area that they're going to be very interested in making sure that there is gaming on this as you guys think about it like what advice would you give them and and you know do you think that this these types of things could draw as much if not more handle than you know a, a random golf event on a sunday
1: yeah and i think that the first step to me is always laying out the rules very um you know just very plainly and making sure that they're posted somewhere and that we as you know bookmakers can go in there and understand all the contingencies and what we're dealing with and the formats perfectly um because that's where you're going to run into things where you know we might not want to book something if we don't really understand you know what could happen in these different scenarios um, but then once the event starts
0: so would you guys want, or do you have in situations like this meetings with the organizers early on so that you understand what the format is and what, and you can start brainstorming on what bets are available and you can meet with the gaming commission to make sure that you can make this bet or that bet?
1: Yeah. And so we have to submit to the gaming commission pretty much for any of these non-standard events. And so there's a lot of events um, that we haven't booked. I know we haven't booked the ping pong primarily because we couldn't find enough of a governing body and enough of a, uh, a a set of standardized rules that we felt comfortable booking it. Um, And so, yeah, that's a big factor. We have, you know, I, I was on the phone, I think I want to say with the cactus league commissioner about three weeks ago, which is the women's golf, uh, women's mini golf tour, um, you know, trying to find out about a withdrawal at the last minute. A lot of these sites that they use are just, they're they're poorly updated and they're not getting the information to us. And, you know, there's a good example of, you know, I got picked off on. I put up yes/no's on all the cactus tour uh, players. I think up to like twenty to one, and I woke up at like six in the morning, and and I'm getting phone calls. Somebody's is lying me to know on the no on on the top three choices, and I, immediately I know somebody's been added to the field late. And you know it's the morning of the tournament, and at four a.m. they added this uh, Mina Harege, who's a uh, an LPGA ringer, and she should have been like a minus one fifty favorite to win the tournament, and so. You know, we got we got to scramble to get ourselves Did in a position win? where we can win money. She won and we were able to make money because of the yes-nos. So we hung the no. I think the market price was like plus 180 on her. And we hung, I think, like, uh, I don't know, we hung like no 60. And they and they scalped us a couple times for two dimes a pop. And we ended up winning like, you know, three, four times in the tournament. But we, as bookmakers, we don't want to be put in uncomfortable positions where we're trying to, you know, figure out some piece of information that we have no chance to beat, you know, guys like Rufus to. So we're always looking for stuff that's really straightforward, laid out well. So we feel that we're at least on equal footing where we have a chance. Obviously, you know, Rufus is always going to have some edge on us when he really puts his mind into something, but you know, we want to have a chance. Um, so yeah, that's, no, a but Rufus,
0: Rufus is not, that's more like a, that's more like a cheetah thing. Like cheetah will find out that thing overnight and he'll like right. hammer that Rufus needs like model, like he'll need to figure out, like, he'll be like calling that woman to see if he can get her high school stats so he can put it in her mod, his model. So that he can basically see <laughs> if she really should be minus 150 or not. He's much more cautious when it comes well, to this, to lack of information.
1: Going back to the future book thing. So the European books had to adjust to her on the fly. And I've noticed that the European, I don't know if Rufus has noticed this also, but the European books tend to, I don't know whether it's because they only deal to recreational money or smaller bets, but they, they really tend to underprice the favorites. And a lot of times you'll see something that should be even money or minus one twenty and they'll they'll have plus one fifty or plus one forty. I, I think there's some kind of gap there. And I, I I really don't trust a lot of their favorite prices when I kind of look overseas on that stuff.
2: I don't trust a lot of their prices. But Jeff, what you were yeah. saying, I mean, I, I agree that I do approach it differently. I mean, because I I can't I come from sort of the odds making side. I mean, that's kind of how I started. I worked for Las Vegas sports consultants and I kind of saw how how the um, you know, how things were done. No, but it's band, interesting so.
0: though, right? Because like that, if it is like the difference in approach, like literally, I I'm surprised that I didn't get a text in the middle of the night from Preston that said, "Oh, you know, this woman was just added. You should hammer these nose or whatever, because you know, like this, she's a ringer and blah blah." And like that's the kind of thing that he gets ahead of, and I think you would be much more cautious. You would not do that. You would basically try to find literally what her el like. How you'd be like, how do I? how do I normalize between the LPGA stats and this third tier women's, you know, recreational golf, uh,
2: tour that's going on. Although, um, but, but the problem with doing something that way and like hitting, you know, finding some spot like in some angle and hitting it is that a lot of books aren't really going to welcome your action after that. You know, a, a lot of, especially yeah, these European operators, they're going to say, Hey, you know, y- you took advantage of something where we were slow to react. Um, Matt, what do you, how do you guys, I mean, I know you kind of treat everybody the same, which I think is fantastic, but, but do you, um, how do you feel about that? The fact that that, yeah. that
1: to me, um, that to me is one of our major selling points. And, and I know I talk to guys all the time who don't believe me. You know, I tell them, I can't stress to you how unemotional we are about your money. Um, and they still call me and apologize for, you know, double popping something or betting, you know, not double popping, but betting it after I moved the line. And, the, and, and I'm just like, why, like in what world? If I move the line and there's a limit, why wouldn't you be able to bet it again? And so I'm almost like insulted because they're basically saying that they don't believe me the first time I talk with them and tell them, you know, bet both sides of the game. I, I just, I just don't care. Money, Money's money to me. And if you're not going to bet it, somebody else is. Um, I, I sometimes, I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble sometimes when I go off on this topic because I kind of did it on the Spanky podcast, but you know, anybody who doesn't kind of have the same philosophy on that, on, on that as me, I, I, I kind of just inherently don't respect them in the sportsbook space because I don't think that, you know, you know, maybe it's more of this that I just have more of a financial or a market type thought process that goes with this stuff. But, you know, there's that that, you know, you've experienced it in Vegas. There's a lot of um people take things personal and they and they think that, you know, you're you're almost like insulting them by I, I don't know. It's it's like it's it's their I, I don't know. Even even if it was no, my money, I still wouldn't be offended.
0: There was a really interesting theme. I mean there were a few interesting themes that like came out in that podcast. And one of them was really around this theme of an exchange and like, sorry, a market. And the people that think about sports betting as a market really think about it differently than the people that, that don't. Right. And ultimately that's at the core of sort of the, the pinnacle argument versus the William Hill argument. The William Hill people think of it as pure recreation and pure entertainment. Um, and the market people are thinking it as a financial instrument or an opportunity to win or lose money. Um, can we just go back to this, the whole idea? Like, I think you said something interesting, which was this, you know, this ping pong thing versus the Tiger Woods thing. So with the, each of these new events that are popping up and, and and there's going to be more and more and more, do you guys feel like you have, an, you know, a, a contact or like, do you have to proactively reach out to these organizers or do they reach out to you? Because it sounds like if you guys just knew a month in advance what the format was, you could book really interesting, you know, um, bets on them that would really enhance the value of the event that they're putting on because, you know, you guys are creating really fun stuff. And like, not only is there the PR around it, but there's the actual engagement around it. Is there a process in place? And if, if it isn't, why isn't it, do you think?
1: It's currently not in place with with us at circus sports um i can't speak for obviously some other other operators you know i think this is still a relatively new new world we're living in where gambling and sports betting is accepted you know accepted conversation to talk about at a game and and in front of people who work for the leagues i I think they've come around and embraced that that ship that ship
0: that that ship is still like no one is no one it's 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 too, there's too much opportunity there. And especially now where sports is like really struggling, we're going to, I think we're going to, when we come out of this COVID thing, we're going to see even more people embracing it because they're going to just need more opportunities to make money off of it. And, you know, I think you will see more of these Tiger Woods type Phil Mickelson things, which aren't quite so clunky to put on. Like the reason that the leagues are having so much trouble coming back is because of how much infrastructure is built in to one of these games. Like if they didn't have quite this infrastructure and it was simpler to do things, we'd probably see NBA games going on right now.
1: So. Right. No, and, and I, I agree. I mean, you know, the challenge with these events is going to be able to get the real time data also to have people be able to follow along in a meaningful way where they, where they, you know, we can, we can book, you know, how long will Tiger Woods tee shot on, on number 12 be. Um, you know, we have to have reliable sources to kind of get that information and the more shot link stuff they can kind of get it for these smaller events. And just in general, the better the better data we can get and the quicker, like the more people can have these bets and we can feel comfortable posting the results to them because, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is post results on something that's going to get changed six times after or, or doesn't have a really official source where you can say, yes, this was the result. Tiger Woods made, you know, or hit a 323 yard drive on the 12th hole, post it. You know, we just, we need concrete stuff that's indisputable, but also we need you know, there has to be a, a desire to bet on this stuff. And that's what makes our decisions. Most of the time, you know, we could put up a hundred props on this, on this match. And, and honestly, there's a very small group of people who are clamoring for that product. And it, and it might be different down the road. Um, you know, and the more automation we have, the easier it will be to do that stuff. And I intend to put up more, the more automation we, we kind of work into our systems. Um, but for right now we're spread thin with our man hours. So we really have to pick and choose and say, okay, we're going to do you know 10 times more stuff with UFC because that's just a more valuable market to us at this point there's more interest um but yeah I, th- I think your point's valid I think the more the more the organizers kind of you know think about us taking bets making their events more popular the more you'll continue to see you know more offerings
2: Rufus you got anything else I mean I have a laundry list of just questions I don't know if they necessarily fit into this and some things we've been touched we've already touched we probably on probably but... have five more minutes so okay. why don't you throw some of your laundry list on there. Okay. So do you think it is going to be harder or easier for professionals um, to make money sports betting in five years?
1: I think it will be easier for originators and guys handicapping and modelers and guys doing their own work. I think that over time, it will be harder for arbitrage guys to kind of find discrepancies and find weaknesses in the market. Um, But I think we still have a, a while like a long time to go before those guys are, are out of work or something. But, um, in, in my model, I almost put them out of business cause I'm eating up so much volume. So, and that's kind of what's driving me, I guess.
2: Um, do you, what are, I mean, so you, you're, you're somebody unique who's worked on both sides of the counter. You, you were, you know, obviously at Circa and Westgate and, and you were betting for a living for a long time as well. Um, what different skill sets are, are required working, working, I guess, as a bookmaker rather than a, uh, as a, as a better.
1: I think it's a, it's your approach in terms of like reactivity to like proactivity. I think as a professional better, you have to be very proactive and asking questions and trying to figure out, you know, why things are happening and, you know, why these odds are where they're at and get ahead of the curve. Like, you know, when I'm doing ratings or when I, you know, handicapping anything, I know I'm doing well when I, cause I can feel that I'm, I'm ahead of the market when I, it's when I start to fall behind and feel like I'm, Kind of just matching the right. You can almost feel when you kind of get to where everybody else is. And so you always have to be ahead of the curve. And, and it, it's a skill that's valuable as a bookmaker too, but you don't need to be that way. And you can be much more reactive and you can kind of sit back and say, you know, the bets are coming in. I'm going to adjust and I have those percentages working for me. I'm still going to make money. So you really, yeah, you just have to be a lot more taking, putting a lot more on yourself and just working. It, it's definitely working harder when you're a, in a different way when you're a professional gambler
2: do you think there's any, it sounds like you guys are trying to become the market, the most efficient market in the U.S. a la, I mean, be like Chris or Pinnacle, the artist formerly known as Pinnacle, I guess, for American sports, um, used to be. But um, do you, what do you think, do you think there's any added value to that aside from, um, you know, is there are there any ways to potentially monetize that besides just taking bets?
1: Um, monetize it in, in terms of, you know, just our, our bottom line or. Right. Because
2: it seems like, look, you, you guys are the ones, I mean, a true, a true market maker is, is taking sharp action, um, and taking action from anybody in order to get to a good price. Um, whereas somebody else may just be copying that price once you get there. Um, is that, you know, is there a way you know, it seems like there should be a way to, uh, you know, it, it seems not fair, obviously, um, to, to someone like to, to, to the market maker. Right.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the value in it is, is almost from a brand perspective and, you know, becoming known for being that market maker. And when you have somebody who is thinking, you know, where, where do I want to go to place this $20,000 bet? Well, you know, I'm going to Circa because they're the gold standard and because I know that transaction will be able to be made with ease. And it, it's, there's a hundred different pieces to the pie. And I can't, it's hard to like sit here and quantify each one because they're all kind of just baked in into this overall product that I want to create. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I think there's value to being that market maker. I mean, you know, we tried it in college football and I thought it brought us a lot of attention and, you know, someday my, my dream would be for us to be the market maker and, and, you know, any sport we choose to book, you know, we're not there yet. Um, but I, I think that's where everybody desires to be because, you know, I, I want people to think of, well, the truest, the truest example of what the line should be is at Circa because that line has been bet into by everyone in the world and it has the most opportunity to be bet into for the largest amount of money. And, and I almost want that to be synonymous with, Hey, what's the line on that game. And and to me, that's how, that's how Chris has done it. They've made it where they've taken the highest limits and they've taken on all comers. And you know, that that line is, has been bet into as hard as it can be. And that's the line. So. Excellent.
2: Jeff, did you have anything you want to add?
0: No, that's a great, seems like a great place to end. I mean, when you were when you were talking about it, I was like, Oh, so he essentially wants to be Chris. And then you said, I want to be Chris, which was cool. So, um, thanks for joining I us. Want to, I want to be
1: a circa. Yeah, yes. well, no,
0: I mean, I, again, I saying, I like, like there's a lot of reasons why you probably don't want to be Chris, probably because it's not legal, but whatever. Anyways, uh, thanks for joining us. Awesome conversation. <laughs>
1: thanks so.: joining us. Thanks for having me on. Numbers in a simulated system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppetees are butt to engines running off a leaded.